In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17, our theme verse for this series reads this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In the weeks before Christmas, we have been unwrapping the only gift that will not fade over time, and that is the offer that Jesus makes described here in this verse to make us into someone new, and actually a new creation. It all begins with a new heart, and that's where we started on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. If we decide to follow Jesus, a change takes place at the very center of who we are, in our heart. And over time, if we cooperate with this new heart, we'll find that what begins in kind of an internal, invisible change begins to expand outward and, and begins to show up in the other parts of our life. We get a new mouth, and we begin to, to use our words differently, and new ears, and we begin to hear uh, from God in ways that we haven't heard before, and a new spine, a new courage, and, and new eyes to match the new heart that we've been given. Last week, we talked about the new ears, and today we're going to draw our attention to courage, the new spine that, that Jesus gives us, the courage to counter our fears. You know, fear is the, the very first human emotion that's mentioned in the pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve had eaten of the forbidden fruit, and then they ran away in a silly attempt to hide from God. And um, Adam explains what was going on in their hearts as um, they were running. He explains this to God in Genesis 3, verse 10. He says to God, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And the nakedness was not just a physical nakedness, but really a, a sign of the fact that he was ashamed and knew that he'd done wrong, and Eve had as well. And so the first emotion then he felt was fear, and she felt as well. Now, this was not an isolated incident. Fear has become the, the primary, the dominant emotion that we all experience now in this sinful, fallen, and broken world. And so it's interesting that on the night uh, of the birth of Jesus Christ, the very first words spoken are these words, do not be afraid. This is what we read in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It said, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, if you startle a group of shepherds in the middle of the night with a bright light and an angel, of course the words, Do not be afraid, are very appropriate and fitting. But these words were designed not only to calm the shepherds that night, but to announce a, a greater answer to the fears that, well, we still face 2,000 years after that night. So the question this morning is, how, how can the birth of Christ back then practically help us with whatever we struggle with in the area of fear today? Isaiah's prophecy about the birth of Christ gives us a clue as to what his arrival was going to help us with in the area of fear. This is what we read in Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This is speaking of the birth of Christ. Now, we know what death is, but what exactly is the shadow of death? Well, a shadow is something that's cast by a solid ob object that 
isn't itself solid. So the shadow is not solid, but the object has to be solid in order to cast a shadow. So death, in this situation, is the, the solid thing. It's the solid fact. We will all die. The only shadow part is that we don't know the day or we don't know the circumstances that will surround our death. And so the certain fact of our death casts an uncertain shadow over every day that leads up to that day. Now, the fact is, if, if we can die at any time, then nothing about our life is stable. Everything that we do takes place in the shadow of death, whether we're thinking about it or not. Now, you may think, well, I'm not afraid. I don't think about death. I'm not a fearful person. But let me ask you this. Are, are you concerned about anything today or, or worried about anything? Are you stressed about anything? Are you annoyed at someone or something? Well, all of these are symptoms of this shadow. It's not just a direct fear. It's, it's all of these ways that we express our fear. These symptoms are reminding us that the world that we live in is not safe. Death, it turns out, isn't just our biggest fear. It's the final fear in a long line of smaller fears that lead up to that day. And the birth of Jesus marked the dawn, the light, that answers that shadow, a very practical answer to our fear. Now, the disciples learned that answer firsthand. They walked with Jesus through much of three years of their life. And on one occasion, Jesus was napping in a boat. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee. A storm came up. It was so severe that these seasoned fishermen feared for their lives. And so they were panicking. And they woke Jesus up in the back of the boat. And Jesus woke up and said to them these two words, fear not. Now, that may sound comforting as you read it in the story. But imagine yourself in that situation. That probably isn't going to really do anything for your fear. I mean, if you've been caught in a fearful situation and someone comes alongside and says, stop it. Stop being afraid. That, that normally doesn't do anything for your fear. But what Jesus did after he said these words is what made these words work. He stood up and he commanded the winds to stop and the waves to stop and everything went calm. And all of a sudden their fear obviously subsided. Now, what occurred at that point is several of them said this was the point in time in which they discovered that Jesus was not just a great prophet, he was not just a great teacher, but he was, in fact, God in flesh. Because only God can, can command wind and waves to stop, and they immediately stop. And they discovered at that point that the only answer to our fear is God's presence. The fact that God was with them in the boat meant that even though the circumstances were awful, there really was nothing to fear. So let me ask you, what, what is it that you are most afraid of right now? Or if it's not a direct fear, what are you most concerned about or anxious about or annoyed at? What if Jesus was with you, just like he was with the disciples in that boat? What if you could actually see him stand up and command the thing that you fear or are irritated at or worried about to subside? just like he commanded those waves to stop. Would that help? Of course it would. But the problem is we, we can't see him like the disciples did. Jesus was on earth for only 33 years. And that's why 
when the disciples were told by Jesus that he was going to be dying soon, he was going to be crucified, and then he would raise uh, from the dead, but then he would leave earth shortly after that, well, they, they panicked. They couldn't imagine facing the, the uncertainty of the future without Jesus. They couldn't, man walk, couldn't imagine walking through the land of the shadow of death without his presence. And so they asked, what, what are we going to do without you? And Jesus answers this way in John 16, verse 7. He says, I'm telling you the truth. It is better for you that I go away. Because if I go, the helper, or if I do not go, the helper will not come. But if I go away, then I'll send him to you. Jesus was saying, you, you either get me in physical presence, or you get the Holy Spirit, who is the helper, living inside of you, with you at every moment in life. And Jesus says, that's better than me in the boat having the Holy Spirit with you, God's personal presence. So if now, 2,000 years later, we decide to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence inside of us. And that is even better than if Jesus were walking with us physically right now. Now, the kind of help that the Holy Spirit gives in the face of fear is described in 2 Timothy verses. Uh, verse 7 of chapter 1, we read this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but instead the spirit inside of us now is a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We, when we are afraid, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, this verse is saying, inside of us that counters that fear. It's a huge help. Now, we already have a spirit of fear. That's what naturally arises inside of us. Sin and death saw to that. Fear is very natural now. But now we have a spirit that can counter that fear. The reduction of our fear is now possible, just like it was for the disciples with Jesus in the boat. But this is not automatic. We, we have to ask for this help. We, we have to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside. And when we are afraid... This verse gives us three practical steps that we can take to cooperate with his work and counter our fears. The first step is we take the next step. We take the very next step. This is the spirit of power. The word power means the ability to act. So in the face of fear, God on the inside gives us the ability to do the next thing that we need to do. Fear tends to freeze us, and whenever we are frozen in fear, our fears simply grow. But it's as we take the next step that the fear begins to lift. And so the Holy Spirit gives us that ability just to take the very next step. If you're trying to take every step, you're not going to get help with that. You'll get help with the very next step. Now, we are not just generally fearful of everything. Each of us tend to have certain things that we're fearful about and other things that we're not. There are themes to our fears. And that's because what we fear has a history to it. There's a background behind what we fear. We have grown up in the shadows of death. And the shape of the particular shadows that we fear have been altered by our surroundings, our life experiences, and how we have reacted to them. In other words, 
when you struggle with fear, this probably isn't the first time you felt this fear. This, is, this fear probably has a long history to it. For example, one of my common fears is that I'm just not going to be good enough. I'm going to fail in some, some way. And when I do, others are going to reject me. You may share that same fear. You may not. Now, I, I didn't select this fear from a list of possible fears I was given when I was three, <laughs> where I was told, look, you're going to be afraid of something, so if you could just look through this list of about 20 fears and just decide which ones you'll pick as the themes for your life, then that'll, that'll kind of set your fear path in motion. No, I, I didn't select these. I, for the longest time, I really wasn't even aware of this. What happened is I, I just had a number of experiences living in the land of the shadow of death, and that shaped the kinds of things that I tend to be afraid of. For example, let me just tell you one experience that shaped me in some ways. When I was 10, we had a family reunion. It was a camping event. Everyone was setting up their camps, and I asked uh, my uncle if I could help him. And he, he said, yeah. He asked me if I could help him find a skyhook. Well, I had no idea what a skyhook was. But I ran off looking intently for a skyhook. I, I was asking everybody, have you seen a skyhook? And I came back after a while to tell him that I, I couldn't find one. So he told me where he thought one might be. And so I ran off again looking for it. And finally, I came back to say, you know, I, I still can't find that skyhook. And by this time, everyone had finished setting up their camps, and they were gathering around the campfire. And so when I, when I announced that I couldn't find a skyhook, everybody burst out laughing. And then I realized, oh, <laughs> there's no such thing as a skyhook. Now, my uncle did it to be funny, and everyone got a good laugh out of it. But to this day, I honestly, I can still feel the emotions of embarrassment that I felt, and I, I still have an image in my mind of that moment. A lot of things happen over my life, but that's, that's a snapshot that I remember. Now, honestly, my uncle was not intending to do me harm. He, he actually was a good, a good uncle, one of my favorite uncles. And I, I know many of you grew up in very harmful families, but I've I had, honestly, a very good family. And to be truthful, uh, other 10-year-olds would have just laughed that off and joined in and not given it another thought. But for some reason, I didn't. It stuck with me on the inside. And it was part of what formed the outline of a shadow in my heart. And that shadow is the fear of ever being in that situation again of ever failing, of ever having a group of people laugh or shake their heads or silently think, oh, he doesn't know what a skyhook is. So how do you think now that I, I view problems when they come up or risks? How do you think I do my risk assessment? Well, risk is something to avoid in my book, and problems are something to run away from. But if that's my approach to life, then I'm going to miss out on a whole lot of what God wants to do through me. Because the biggest opportunities in life are often embedded in problems, aren't they? And risks are often where God tends to meet us to do some of the greatest things. Honestly, on my own, driven by my own fear, I would never have taken a job like this that requires me to stand up in public every week. I would have run as fast and far as I could from any opportunity like this. 
I would have never led us as a church to do some of the things that we've done. So how did I, how did I get here? Well, it wasn't because my fears just suddenly went away one day. God blew away all of the shadows and nothing but sunshine from this point forward. No, it, my fears, honestly, are as real today as they have ever been. And it wasn't because God showed me the entire future and told me that, you know, if I left advertising and, and started pastoring this church, that, that everything would go out perfectly. No, God never showed me that. No, it was just like it has, life has been for all of us. It's just one step at a time. But at the critical point of decision, if you allow fear to shape that step, you'll end up in a very different path, and, and much of what God intends to do through your life, like my life, will, will be impacted negatively. And that's why God says, listen to me on the inside, and allow me to give you the power just to take the next step. Don't worry about the hundred that will follow. Just, just get up. And take that next step. So when you feel the fear, particularly your theme fear, know that it's time to do something. If you just sit there and ponder it, your imagination will enlarge the size of your fear beyond anything realistic. But if, if you just get up and take that first step, and then take the next step, you'll discover that God will push the fear back and do amazing things. Only the Holy Spirit can lead us step by step forward into the shadowlands. He gives us the power to do this. The second way that the Holy Spirit helps us on the inside when we're afraid is he gives us a spirit of love, the, the power to turn our attention to others. This is particularly helpful when it comes to fear. You know, one point in the Bible... It's describing how much God loves us. This is in the book of 1 John in the New Testament, and all of a sudden it just says, well, God is love. The idea is this is not just one of the many qualities that God has. That This is at the very core of God. It's his very nature is, is to love. So it follows that if God is living on the inside of you, he's going to prompt you to love other people. That's just going to be part of what he prompts you to do. Now, let me be clear. Love is not just a general feeling toward people. Love, as it's described in the Bible, is the act of sacrificing for the benefit of another, regardless of how you feel. You know, we've tended to define love primarily as an emotion, and in Scripture, it's primarily an action. Emotions follow, but it's primarily a, a commitment to act. So it, what that means is if you say that you love someone, but there's nothing specific that you have done recently to be of real help or to be of benefit to them, the truth simply is you do not love them. Maybe you have in the past, but right now you don't. Love is an action. Now you may have strong feelings of warmth and affection. You may even be able to get emotional about them and even cry about them, but if you're not doing anything to sacrifice personally for the benefit of them, you don't love them. So what is it that love has to do with fear? Well, it describes in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 this, there is no fear 
in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Why? Because fear has to do with punishment. What's punishment? What's the question of punishment? What's going to happen to me? The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What it's saying is love is the only anti-fear quality available. Love is the opposite of fear. Why is it that perfect love drives out fear from a person? Well, it's because you can't look in two opposite directions at the same time. Love and fear look in opposite directions. You know, physically, you can't look in opposite directions at the same time. I mean, I can look to my left, or I can look to my right, but I, I've got eyes only in the front of my head. I, I, I can't look in both directions. I've got to choose. And when I choose to look in one direction, I'm choosing not to look in the other direction. When you are afraid, what's your primary concern? Yourself. What's going to happen to me? That's why it says fear has to do with punishment. What's going to happen to me? So fear by its very nature, is a self-consuming and self-focused activity. It's, it's about me. What's going to happen to me? Its direction and orientation is me. It's inward. Love is the opposite. It looks in the exact opposite direction. So what it does is it, it turns the attention away from yourself and toward somebody else. So What that means is when we in love focus our attention on how we can help someone else, the shadows of our fear begin to lift. Now, if love were primarily an emotion, then it would be a conflict between the emotion of fear and the emotion of love, and love would never win. But because love is primarily an action, no matter how fearful we are, no matter what we're struggling with, we can always turn, we can always take the action of helping somebody else. And when we do that, it helps lift our fear. Because in order to to turn our attention to someone else and actually think about them and wonder how I could be of help to them, what could I say to benefit them or do to help them, when you do that, you, you have to turn your back on your fear. And to do that, you have to trust God to take care of what you're turning your back on. So it's it's a counter. It's, it's the opposite of fear. So when we love, the shadows of fear begin to lift. Now, if you just try to stop being afraid, it's not going to work. You, you, you can't just turn the emotions off. You've got to change direction. You know, when the disciples faced that storm in the middle of the lake, Jesus was right there with them in the boat. But I didn't help their fear. Why? He was fast asleep. So they went and woke him up. And then that's when he said, fear not. And that's when he then calmed the waves and the the wind. And I think this is kind of a picture of what it's like when when we're being selfish and we're facing a fear. You know, God is with us. If you've decided to follow Jesus Christ, God is with you on the inside. But he's not involved, just like Jesus wasn't involved in the fear in that boat. And the reason is because we haven't asked for his help. And the way you ask for God's help most powerfully is you turn to help somebody else because that's at the center of God's heart. God didn't just say, you know, I'm a fan of love. He said, no, I I am. That's me. So when you do, it's at the core of who I am. 
I help. So if you want God's help in a fearful situation, find a way to help someone else. Very, very practical step. Now, it's counterintuitive, I'll promise you. But it's very powerful. And then number three, tame your emotions. We get a spirit of power, a spirit of love from God on the inside, and then lastly, a spirit of self-discipline. Self-discipline, the idea is to be in control of what you do and say rather than just being reactionary. It's so easy for us just to react, to feel, and then to speak and to act out of what we feel. And this is what fear tends to do. Fear is the ultimate reactionary mode. You know, Adam, running to hide from God after he sinned, was not a logical thing to do, was it? I mean, as if God can't see through a bush that he created? Of course he can. I mean, did Adam really think, oh, if this bush has really thick leaves, God will never find me here. I mean, if he had stopped for a moment and thought, he would have realized, you know, I might as well just stand out here in the open and wait till God wants to talk to me because whether I'm behind the bush or stand in the open, I'm visible. But you see, he wasn't thinking. He was, he was reacting to the emotion of fear. And that's the way fear is. Fear is not a logical thing. Fear will not drive you to make good decisions. Fear will just, you'll just react because it's not logical. It's reactionary. You, know, you don't fear at some point in your day because you rationally decided, you know what, at 2 o'clock this afternoon would be a great time to freak out. <laughs> so let's just, let's just pencil that in, and I'll schedule a reminder to remind myself to just lose it at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. No, that's not the way fear goes. You know, the way you know you're, you're fearful is suddenly you feel the emotion of fear, and then fear just kind of takes over, and it snowballs. The reason that our fear is primarily emotional and reactionary is because of that history that I mentioned earlier. You see, the history has not only shaped the shadows of our fear, but it's affected the depth of our fear. You know, for me, I fear the rejection of others or fear, fear failure, not because that thing that happened in the campsite only happened when I was once, when I was 10. No, in different ways, that kind of thing has happened many times to me and probably to you. So every time I fail, every time I come up short, every time someone indicates less than approval of me, I feel that same feeling. And those feelings don't just stay attached to the particular circumstance. They are, they are added, they are layered on top of each other. And they, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Because feelings, well, feelings don't know time. You know, this is why you can watch a 90-year-old man talk about losing a buddy in the war when he was 19. And you'll see tears run down his cheeks. 71 years later. But, but in his heart, it was almost like it was yesterday. Because feelings, they don't say, you know what, that happened today. I'm never going to forget. I'm never going to think about that or feel that again. No, no, we, we drag them forward into the future, and they're added to um, the, the fears in that area. So in that sense, fear is... Fear is kind of like a, a bruise. 
an internal bruise. You know, if you, if you have a bruise on your body, where does that come from? Why, why is there a bruise? If there's a bruise, that's an indication that there's been a past injury. You know, there's, there's some history there. Yesterday, you bumped into something. Today, there's a bruise. Now, what happens if someone accidentally bumps into your bruise? Well, it's going to hurt more than if there wasn't a bruise, right? And so your reaction is going to be larger, disproportional to the bump because you're not just reacting to the current bump, you're reacting to that plus yesterday's injury. So those two are layered on top of each other. And this is the way we are when it comes to fear. It's Again, we're not just reacting to what's happening today. We're reacting to what's happening today, and that's triggering all of the layers of what's happened to us in the past in that area. So this is why, for example, for me, my wife can ask me a simple, good-hearted question like, why did you do that? And I'll react with something much larger than just, well, let me explain to you why I did that. I mean, I'll... I'll get very defensive sometimes and very reactionary sometimes because, why? Because I've got this bruise that says I, I might not be good enough and I might fail. So if anybody asks a question, it's very easy for me just to react and to jump into the mode of defending myself when it was just simple, a simple question, an honest question that many times could be say, yeah, you know, that probably wasn't the best thing to do, and oh, well, I'll do better next time. Why can't I just do that? Well, it's because there's an injury there. There's a history there. And this is what tends to happen in relationships, especially in marriages. You know, we get married, and we bring all of our fear bruises with us, and then we live in close proximity, and we just start bumping into each other. And we start reacting, and we're like, what? I just said, what happened? And they don't know. I didn't know I had this fear bruise. I just felt the pain. And I thought my wife caused it. But if someone bumps into your bruise and it hurts, is it their fault? No, the bruise was there before. I, I, I brought my fears into my marriage. They're mine. They're, they're my doing, not, not hers. But much of the conflict and struggle that occurs in relationships is from the fact that we just, we just keep bumping into each other's bruises, and we just keep reacting, and we don't know why. I mean, we blame them. Well, it's because you asked me, what was I doing? <laughs> like, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that doesn't sound right, does it? But I don't know. I mean, it's your fault. Only God and His truth can begin to heal those bruises can begin to address those fears. And that's why the Holy Spirit on the inside is, well, it's a spirit of self-discipline. We don't have to react. We don't have to go through life just like pinballs, reacting to everything, that every bump we have. Well, how do we do that? Let me just give you three suggestions on the spirit of self-discipline. I think, first of all, it's very helpful for you to identify your fear bruises. I don't worry about spending all kinds of time to do this. Just whenever you react, take some time to stop and think. What's, what am I thinking now? What's going on? And have I felt this before? Is, is this a theme with me? 
to the degree that you can begin to understand, oh, yes, this is, this is a common theme for me. i felt this my whole life. That begins to take away some of the lie that it's their fault for how you feel. And you can begin to understand, this, this is me. This is, this is something I have. It's no one else's fault. So identify your fear bruises. Look for the emotional spikes and ask, what am I thinking? And then discover God's truth about that fear. So for me, what's God's truth about my failure? The truth is, yes, I am a failure. The bigger truth is, that's why Jesus died for me. And his love for me has absolutely nothing to do with my performance. And it's helpful to not only identify this truth, but to, if you can find some verses in the Bible that support this truth, that's really helpful. Because the third point is apply the truth when you feel the fear. So what I, what I have to do is when I'm feeling these emotions, I, if I can just take five minutes and stop, stop this, the reactionary snowball and think, oh yeah, this is that bruise again. Now what was the truth about that? Is there a verse about that that I could pull out again or maybe one that I've memorized that I can review and ask God to remind me of? You know, for me, Romans 8, 28 through 36 have been so helpful. It talks about how God is going to work out a good future for me. It talks about how the love of Christ, that there's absolutely nothing that can separate me from God's love for me. I, I just need to remember that. So, identify your fear bruises, discover God's truth, and apply the truth when you feel the fear. I don't know what your next year looks like as we begin to wrap up this year, but my guess is there's a lot of shadows in 2017. But in this land of the shadow of death, as Isaiah the prophet said, speaking of the birth of Christ, a light has dawned. His name is Jesus. And his gift to those who decide to follow this light is you get the Holy Spirit on the inside. Now, honestly, on your own, you can do these three we just talked about. You can take the next step. You can turn your attention to help other people. You can try to stop reacting. But your ability to do it is going to be pretty limited. And you're, honestly, you're not going to be able to do it often enough to really push back the fear. We, we need help. We need the presence of God on the inside helping us. So if you haven't yet decided to receive this greatest gifts, I mean, the whole reason we give gifts on Christmas is because of this gift, the gift of Jesus Christ. And you haven't asked for his mercy to be applied to your sin, your failure, and then decide to follow him, then I would, I would encourage you to do that, to open up this gift. And then the Holy Spirit will move in. So before I close in prayer, let, let me just read my own personal translation of this verse. This is just my words. I do this sometimes just to kind of help me understand a verse. So here's my translation. If you're afraid, that's not from God. He is with you right now, giving you the power to take the next step and to be of real help to someone in your life. So do that rather than let your feelings consume you. Let's pray. Father, we, um, 
we do live in the shadow of death. We try to push it out of our mind. We try to get busy enough to where we don't have to think about it. We try to set goals uh, that keep us focused away from that. But the shadow has a way of finding us. Either someone close to us dies or fear of a shadow begins to consume us and drive us in directions that are not good. We thank you that in this land of the shadow of death, a light has, has dawned. And Jesus, we thank you for the sacrifice of your presence here on earth, your death, your resurrection, so that the Holy Spirit could reside inside of us. Holy Spirit, we want to cooperate with you. Help us to see what the next step is and give us the power to take it. As we stay frozen in fear, it, our fears just grow. Show us in the moment of fear who we can help, what we can say to be of help. And then give us an understanding about our fears so that we can, we can make choices rather than just react to the emotions of the fear. We thank you for this greatest of gifts. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.